today on The Travel Guys. In the travel news, if you want to be a top-tier flyer with your favorite airline, the requirements are back to pre-COVID days. And another small town votes to limit cruise ship arrivals. Those stories next in the travel news. Mark made a trip to Hawaii this past week, and as usually his return with some tips to make you a smarter traveler on your next trip to the islands. That comes up at 3.20. Have a dispute with an airline you can't settle? You might consider small claims court. Charlie from Travelers United has some thoughts on the subject at 3.35. A vacation to the Arctic or Antarctic is on some travelers' bucket lists. And at 3.50, we introduce you to Aurora Expeditions, an award-winning travel company that can make your frozen dreams come true. Making you a smarter and more informed traveler. Thanks for joining us on The Travel Guys. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. I got two tickets to paradise. Up to Alaska. I go north, the rush is on. Welcome, my friends, alive and well. Locally sourced, we are the Travel and Entertainment Guys, brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano here with you. Thanks for for coming along. Mark, you you look tan. You look rested. You look like you've... You've been to the islands, but you were working, so. Yeah, I don't know about the rested part, because it was a pretty busy pretty busy five days, but I'm, I'm headed to Reno for the National Tour Association Convention. It's the annual gathering where those of us who are tour operators get a chance to meet with hoteliers and you know bus companies and suppliers of all kinds to build our tour packages. And so it's, you know, it's, it's snowed a couple of times in Reno over the last week or so, so I'm going to probably be the tannest guy at the at the convention um but it's a farmer's tan you know because i didn't have time to go down and lay by the pool so hawaii is alive and well we're going to talk a little bit more about it a little bit later on in the program all right well good i i think uh if you're, you're if you're leaving us uh, soon to reno here in the next few days you you should be good you'll you'll miss the next the next storm it has been nice to get a little bit of weather to get some rain uh and certainly we're we're going to need the snow we are the Travel Guys, and at the top of every Travel Guys radio show, we bring you up to date on what's been going on in the travel news. Delta Airlines says that they are expecting 5 million people on their planes Thanksgiving week. And that's just out of Sacramento. No, I'm just kidding. That's not just out of Sacramento. It will only seem like 5 million people. You know, I fly United and Southwest most of the time. So I'm in one terminal or the other. Um, The old terminal where United and Delta and American um, are, to me, is by far the more leisurely place to be. The Southwest terminal is kind of a zoo. But the other terminal, of course, there's a, there's a limited number of food and beverage places and, and, and amenities over there. But still, life is a lot more civilized on that side of the planet. Speaking of airlines, Spirit Airlines, which flies to Las Vegas from Sacramento, has eliminated 37 routes from its flight schedule. Spirit, if you recall, 
is about to do a merger with JetBlue if that make passes uh, federal uh, they, if they take a look at it and everything looks okay, and then uh, there's some doubt of that going through. But anyway, Spirit has cut 37 routes from its schedule. The only reason I mention that is because if you see the press release, it does not impact any of the Sacramento departures. Aurora Expeditions is a travel company which specializes in the Arctic and the Antarctic. They have ships. Um, they have uh, tour packages and the like. They are going to be a guest later on in the program, but they also make the travel news here today because they have a re- released their 2023 and 2024 itineraries. Um, some of the cruise ships leave from Argentina and go out to the Antarctic. Uh, it is really a, a some spectacular programs. I know some people have this on their bucket list. In addition, the company has announced that they have a brand new ship that they're introducing. So we will talk to them about that a little bit to Bonnie a little bit later on in the program. But if you are somebody who is looking for, if on your bucket list is a place way north or way south, I mean way north or way south, then uh, hang around here because at 350, we'll be able to tell you a little bit more about it. Um, United Airlines has brought back its pre-COVID standards to earn status on the airlines. Uh, Those of you that are United Flyers got word on this last week, but if you are not a United Flyer, you are Delta, American, something like that, um, you're going to see that also they are Going back to uh, standards, they had relaxed things for a couple of years because they knew people weren't flying much. They didn't want their best customers to go somewhere else. Um, another thing, though, that you that you need to be aware of is that credit cards are starting to enter into this more and more. Uh, you receive credits for spend on your credit cards, and some of those credits can go towards your frequent flyer status. With United Airlines, it's not possible to attain uh, elevated status without flying, but with some of the other carriers, it is. So you can, if you spend enough money on their credit card, then they don't care whether you fly on their airplane or not because they already made the, as much money as they would have made if you flew on the plane. So uh, if you are a frequent flyer and you haven't uh, heard from your airline yet, you are going to hear from them soon. Oh, well, I'm, I'm all excited about this. I unfortunately uh, have one of those... Southwest rewards cards. It's a uh, Chase, if I'm not mistaken, a Chase Visa, and uh, uh-huh. I, you know, I've really, really hit it, really hit it bad this year, and so hopefully, uh, I said, well, I'll get, I'll get something more than just uh, lots of rapid reward points that uh, that I can use. And we say this often on this program, but it, it, because it really is true, um, Southwest is the one airline that doesn't play a whole lot of games in this area. It's like you need this many flights or this many points, and here's how it's done. And it doesn't have anything to do with your credit card. You got to get on the airplane, and you have to, you know, you got to spend the money. And it's real simple to figure out. It it it's it is reflective of how Southwest does business. Of course, Southwest does not have the one thing that many frequent flyers love, and that is Southwest does not have the ability to upgrade you to first class if there are empty seats up there and you are one of their status flyers. So on Southwest, uh, you can use those points for to get free flights for yourself or your friends or your family or whatever, but you cannot use them to get into the forward cabin of the aircraft. And <laughs> so I, I, that like, makes a very big difference to people yeah, who fly a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of wish I, I, they had that. Uh, you know, I, co-pilot is the only, as close as you can get. And- <laughs> I, I tried to force my way in and was arrested. So, Listen, when I went to Hawaii uh, this past week, 
I had had the ultimate experience on both ends of the airline card. I didn't know it, but I had gotten on a flight out of San Francisco on United. Mm-hmm. Had to fly had to fly to San Francisco and then fly United instead of taking a nonstop from Sacramento because I needed the points miles to make it for the end of this year. Um, and so I got on an aircraft in San Francisco. I didn't know it. It was a seven triple seven. It had just come from Taiwan, I believe. And it was flying back to Honolulu. Well, it had what they call these Polaris, the, the ultra, the lay down flat seats in first class. Oh, my. So they have this huge first class cabin on this plane. And Mark is a fairly high United flyer. So he got upgraded. I got upgraded first class, not knowing that I was getting upgraded to lie flat beds and all of this other kind of stuff, which is kind of kind of sort of misleading. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But then last night on my last flight coming home from Los Angeles, I was on a 50-seater United aircraft sitting next to a man who was six foot five and weighed 225 pounds. And he fit. He wasn't slopping over into my seat, but he didn't fit very well between the row in front of him. (laughs) He looked like I was afraid we were going to have to get Crisco to get him out of the chair to get him back home. What was? Uh, what did you say the uh, the the type of plane it was that uh, you flew over on? Triple seven 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 seven. Okay. And so the planes that are used mostly for international service have, with all the carriers, have first class cabins that are somewhat over the top, and the price reflects that. But in this case, I got lucky and got into one without it costing me a lot of money. But uh, we'll talk a little bit about that a little bit later on. All right, back to the news here before this drags on forever. Um, This town in Maine has voted to strictly limit cruise ship passengers. They are not the first one uh, to, to do this. Bar Harbor, Maine, which is a beautiful, picturesque little community. Um, imagine four or five or six or eight or 10,000 cruise ship passengers getting off and just flooding. We've seen this happen in Key West, which is another community which has said to cruise ships, uh, limiting the number of ships and or the number of passengers that would uh, be able to get off the ship on any given day. Um, the, the, The folks in Maine have really, especially in Bar Harbor, have just said that it's too many people. So they're going to allow... 3,500 people to disembark in July and August, and 3,800 in May, June, September, and October when things are a little bit uh, less busy in town, no more than three ships a day. And so I look for more communities to be doing this because what happens, and to those of you who, who travel on large cruise ships, just know that when you get to these small communities that you've looked at the itinerary and said, oh, man, I've always wanted to go here. I've always wanted to visit this place. It, you're not going to have it to yourself. So there are going to be a lot of other people. All of the sightseeing tours, attractions, anything that are in that town on that day are going to be overwhelmed with cruise ship passengers. So it's. I, I frankly am glad to see some of the small towns uh, saying, look, you know, we can, we'd love to have one cruise ship a day or a couple if they're small, but we want to make room for everybody else. And also the quality of the experience is really, really, really important to us. And so we want to make sure that the quality of the experience that people have is a plus. So I can understand that. And British Airways has said that male flight attendants can now have exposed tattoos. They can wear pierced earrings. They can wear makeup if they wish. Their female flight attendants do not have to wear makeup if they don't wish. They are becoming more gender neutral. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, the, the all of this doesn't get too crazy but uh it's 
it's something that's probably been a long time overdue. Some of these rules are really archaic, and uh, let's hope that it doesn't go over the top. If it does, why, then the airline will probably gently pull it back in. But at least British Airways is saying that we don't really care uh, as much what you what your skin looks like. We care what kind of service and how you treat our customers. So we'll see how all that goes. And that is your travel news for today. Mark, uh, you spent uh, a few days in the island uh, scouting out for your next uh, sports leisure vacations trip. Uh, how did it go? Well, uh, trip is in April, goes to the big island, and folks have an option to be able to go to Oahu if they like. So I visited those two destinations. The big island is and Kauai are my two favorite places um, in Hawaii. My favorite hotel is on the big island, the King Kamehameha Hotel, mm-hmm. which is uh, not a fancy hotel. Uh, it's in the town of Kailua and uh, on the Kona side of the big island. And it's really a, it's a mid-range hotel, but it's got location, location, location. You can walk to just about everything in town. Uh, if you like luau's, luau's have gotten a little more expensive post-COVID. What are the two things that have gone up most in price? Food and labor. So labor entertainers and food that you're eating at the luau. So those are the two things that combine. So a luau is going to co- probably cost you in the neighborhood of 100 and a quarter, 100 and a half uh, in the islands. If you're going to spend that much money, uh, then on a dinner and a show, you'd, you'd like to have some quality entertainment. I believe that the best luau in the islands is on the big island at the King Kamehameha Hotel. A couple things they have going for them there. They're on a historical site. So they can bring begin the evening's proceedings by bringing the king in in a canoe, accompanied by some of his warriors to the shore there, and great photo op. Um, they also have some historic sites there and the like. I really think that uh, Island Breeze puts on the best luau in the islands, and that's on the big island at the King Kamehameha. Um, yes, sir. Uh, the King Kamehameha uh, is one of those locations that we used to visit when I would visit my father-in-law in the islands, he lived in uh, in uh, Kona, uh, had a little had a little office with his real estate business right there on the strip across the street from the hotel. Uh, and it has that that small beach. It's mm-hmm. its own little private beach. And uh, is that where they bring the king in? That's where the king comes in. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. Uh, and then he, he then he leads his his royal court into the. Uh, luau grounds there and then you go in and drink as much as you want and eat as much as you want and watch the entertainment and and the great thing is that they start about five o'clock five thirty and by seven seven fifteen i had a room that faced the luau so i was able to hear it two nights um while i was there so without going i would I, I knew that the quality of the entertainment was still up where where it had been previously there's a lot of hawaiian history on the big island if you like history um that's some place to to that you you'll want to go of course there's volcanoes national park is on the big island um if you go to volcanoes national park there's a wonderful visitor center there but there's another place that a lot of people especially folks who are in a hurry probably miss it's called the volcano house it's a small hotel they have a gift shop and a restaurant um it's kind of across from the visitor center a little bit you kind of have to look for the entrance uh they have a dining room there so if you're going to eat lunch i strongly recommend that you eat at the volcano house on the big island because you are overlooking the caldera of kilauea volcano while you're eating your lunch i mean literally that that has not stopped erupting for many years it doesn't spew lava all the time right now it's just letting out smoke and steam and the like but it's all happening right in front of you 
and in this huge pit, and you're on the edge of it. So when you talk about authenticity, I mean that really is one of the one of the most authentic things that tra- that a traveler can do. I think is eat lunch at the Volcano House on the Big Island. Um, the town of Hilo is uh, on the opposite side from Kona. They get a lot more rain over there. Lots of great orchid nurseries. Um, Hilo is a really interesting town. It hasn't been as overwhelmed by tourism, so it still has kind of that old Hawaii feel. It rains a lot there, like every other day, um, which tends to keep the crowds down a little bit. But it really is, don't don't overlook Hilo if you're going to the Big Island because it really is worth a visit. Um, When I got over to Oahu... Um, Oh, one thing I want to mention here, Tom, is about taxis. Taxis are still alive and well in Hawaii. Um, You can get ride share if you want. Uber and Lyft and and others are available. But I will tell you that taxis are about 20% cheaper than Uber and Lyft. Interesting. And I use them throughout my visit to the islands. I hadn't been there for a number of years, and I wasn't sure if the, if the taxis were still available. They are, um, particularly in Oahu. So um, if you're a rideshare person, that's great. But uh, the taxis will get you there cheaper, and they tend to be a little bit larger. So if you have a lot of luggage and stuff like that that you're moving around, why well, then uh, you, you might want to consider a uh, a taxi. Another thing I discovered on uh, the Big Island or not on the Big Island, on Oahu, the last night that I was there, checked into a courtyard hotel um, in the evening and the next, and checked out the next morning, and lo and behold, had to pay a $35 destination fee, which I thought was kind of bogus. Um, these are all over. Destination resort fees are all over the islands. Uh, the King Kamehameha will, give you, will charge you a destination fee, but then you get a food credit, which allows you if you eat in their facilities to kind of reclaim some of that, that's what some of the hotels do. But some of them, it's just a cash grab. I, I was at the courtyard um, in Oahu for 13 hours. Uh, nobody, uh, because I had used points to get the room, nobody told me there was a destination charge. Um, it was it was taxable. So the $35 charge became $41. Nobody told me what I got for it, explained it to me. Gave me anything for it. I left the next morning and then found it when I got it when I got it on my bill um, for forty one bucks. So that's just just really bogus. I mean, raise the room rates. You've already raised them to astronomical prices most places. So Oahu is Honolulu is of course a big city in the middle of the ocean. It's busy, busy, busy. But there are a lot of things to do there, and there's only one place that you can go see Pearl Harbor, and that is on Oahu. Well, you know, uh, for a long time, whenever I would fly over to the Big Island, we would always uh, pass through Oahu, and we we finally decided, well, let's stay here for a day, and uh, and it is, it was a big city, and this was this was quite a few years ago, and I spent all my time looking, trying to figure out where the ocean was, and I finally realized that on the other side of all of these enormous hotels that are all lined up side by side, uh-huh. you can find the ocean. So yes. for for me for a Hawaii experience, uh, the Big Island again is 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 truly unique. And of course, the Big Island, you you know, the, if you're going for white sandy beaches, that is not your destination. No. Uh, Oahu, I, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Mark, and correct me if I'm wrong, did they not import some of their sand from some of the yeah. other islands? And they have to bring in sand on a fairly regular basis to some of the beaches because it tends to. 
um, to wash away. Before we run out of time here, I want to tell folks, if you go to the Big Island, there's a place called Hawaiian Vanilla. It's about uh, it's it's up on the north end of the island, equal distance from Hilo or, or the Kona side. A Hawaiian Vanilla, you can go there and have lunch and learn all about vanilla. It is one of the best tour experiences that I have found anywhere in the country, not just in Hawaii, but anywhere. It's a family-run operation. It's called Hawaiian Vanilla Company. If you go to the Big Island, you absolutely must take a day and go up there. Outstanding. Well, all right, Mark. Thank you for the information. And uh, visit TravelGuysRadio.com for uh, links to your upcoming trip to Hawaii in April. All right, my friends, coming up after a a short time out for the news, we're going to talk with Charlie from Travelers United about the small claims court. Can you imagine taking an airline to small claims court? Well, it's happening. That's uh, coming up after the news right here on The Travel Guys. With us again today from Travelers United, Charlie Leoka joins us. Mark? Charlie has written uh, recently on the Travelers United website about a way that you might be able to settle a dispute with an airline, particularly if it's not a large sum of money. Um, It might only be a few hundred dollars, but you could take them to small claims court. What a unique idea. I had never thought of this before, but uh, Charlie says that it, it, it might be a way for you to get satisfaction over something that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. Charlie, welcome back to the Travel Guys. Tell us a little bit about this small claims court idea. You know, we've we've all heard about federal preemption, and everybody is scared because they think that we have to always um, take the airlines to, to court using the federal court systems. However, you have something in between, and it's, it's called the small claims court, and it deals with items which are under $2,500 or up to $25,000. So in that whole area, you now have an area where you can go in and you can actually say, hey, Mr. Court, I've got the airlines are treating me like dirt, and I should get some uh, compensation. And normally, the judge is then hearing that. And he moves on, and then he'll give you some. Either he'll say, "Look, forget it. You know, this is what happens to everybody," and and so on and so forth. And common sense prevails within, with together with um, the law. And so, I think that it is a. It's the lowest level of our court system that we have. It's designed so that we can uh, handle uh, small claims more quickly. People don't have to spend a lot of money on lawyers and so on. And it often gives individuals much more of a um, of a benefit. And the place that it really works is if the airlines break their contracts of carriage and they say they're going to do something in the contract of carriage and they don't do it, then you can take them to court. Now, you suggest that the airlines violating their own their own agreement with their customers is happening on a more regular basis and the airlines don't really, it doesn't really seem to bother them that don't adhere to the rules that they have set for themselves in essence. Right. But it doesn't happen any more frequently today than it used to happen. The airlines have always sort of had this under the radar approach to small claims court. And now we're just trying to bring it out from obscurity and make it more, more clear for individuals. So let's say that you, um, the airline cancels your flight and they throw you on a bus 
and then you end up getting to the um, to your place the next day or you're in the middle of the night instead of on time. And then you go back to the airline and you say, hey, you know, you put me on this bus and the bus only costs us, you know, costs you $12 and it costs me $95 to fly. Uh, I want compensation. Then you can ask for it. And you may get it. You might not get it. If there's a situation where you end up with um, there's some sort of a snowstorm and the bus has trouble getting there and the airplanes have trouble getting there and everyone has trouble moving around, you might not get a dime. But on the other hand, if it's just because of the airlines, for the airlines' convenience, they don't have the crew in the right place or they don't have an airplane available, then you might get easily, you get some sort of compensation. And now, when the Char- airline Charlie, loses look- your luggage, okay. when, when they lose your luggage, you get the same kind of, it gives you a place that you can go and complain. And you can, apply, you can complain officially besides complaining, as I always suggest, to DOT. Do the airlines, are they going to show up in court to to defend yes. themselves in small claims court? The airlines actually have a team of lawyers. Every airline has a, you know, a, a team of lawyers that goes out, and they try to show up in person for as many of these small claims. Yeah, of course they do. Now, if it's, and if it's a small, if it's really a, a tiny claim, they just want to, they'll just ignore it, and they'll just send you a letter and say, okay, it's all settled before it goes. But if you're up around twenty thousand dollars or so, hey, it pays for them to have a um, a lawyer there. Wow! Wow! Excellent. Um, okay, and, and also let's correct something here. We said twenty five hundred dollars or more, but the actuality is that that limit does, that's that's not a limit that applies in California. So um, regardless of your claim, you have to pay a small filing fee. 30 or 50 or $75, but there's right. there's no minimum. One of the situations where um, the airline puts you on a bus and you have to pay for your own hotel room or something like that, maybe your expenses are only a few hundred dollars, but the airline has no interest in reimbursing you, then this is something that you could take the small claims court, pay a small fee, and if you've got a solid case, then there's a fairly good chance that, that the court will rule in your favor. Right. And so... Uh, I think, you know, I'm looking at my list right now, and California has a limit of $10,000. Ironically, the state with the highest limit of $25,000 of all places is Tennessee. <laughs> so, And right next door in, in Kentucky is a state that has the lowest limit of only um, of $2,500. So, so small claims court is one way that you can... Uh, that you can resolve some of these disputes, particularly for smaller amounts. If you can't get the airline's attention and you're you're you feel strongly enough about it, you're willing to to go the extra mile. Then this is something where you might be able to prevail. Charlie, let's let's switch shift gears here just for a second and talk a little bit about airline seat reservations. Um, you point out in in a, a column that you wrote on your uh, website recently that. This is not something – this is really a hidden fee because you look online and you see that your round-trip airfare is $398. And then you go to pick your seats and you find that uh, – at least I can speak for I'm, – I'm, I'm stuck with being a United flyer. Um, you look on United and you see, well, heck, only the back few rows of the aircraft are not considered premium seat locations and some middle seats in the middle part of the plane everything else it used to just be economy plus if you wanted more leg room you paid more now if you want a window seat or an aisle seat pretty much anywhere in the airplane 
they're going to hit you for 50, 20, 15, 20, 30 dollars more for it. Multiply that by four legs in most cases to get across the country and back. Heck, you're talking two or three hundred dollars. Now your 398 airfare is 698. And 398 wasn't really a representation of what it would cost you to fly on the plane. How is it that the airlines get away with this? Well, the way that they get away with it, we had this fight about a decade ago. And uh, during the battles, we said that all um, all um, seat reservation fees must be disclosed ahead of time. And we could not get it put into the price because some people reserve a seat, some people don't reserve a seat. You don't have to reserve a seat. And they've got all sorts of different seat reservation uh, costs. So what they did is we came up with a, with a solution, or DOT came up with a solution, where they said that if you have a charge for a seat or if you charge more for bags and so on and so forth, it must be a link from the home page over to all of the uh, seat reservation uh, and, and other ancillary fees. And that's how they get away with it, because nobody's looking for that uh, link. And plus the link is, uh, is hidden in that it says changes to uh, check baggage fees. And then you go to that page, and then you find the, the link, and you'll find the, what the actual rules are if you don't, you know, don't want to pay the extra uh, seat reservation fee. So, so if you don't pay the extra fee, you don't reserve you, you you don't reserve a seat. You're taking a chance that you may get to the airport and you could get one of those economy plus seats. But you can also right. get stuck in a middle seat in the back of the aircraft. You're right. And so what ends up happening is every single person that buys a seat must be is guaranteed a seat. To a degree. Now, they've also got what they call denied boarding. So they're allowed to overbook flights. And then that, but the denied boarding compensation has gone up significantly. And so you don't have to necessarily, uh, you know, have a reservation because sometimes they figure that the denied boarding compensation is enough to make up for it. Our special guest is Charlie Leoka with Travelers United. Charlie, uh, denied boarding. I mean, you got yourself a reservation. Uh, it isn't everybody guaranteed a seat. And what kind of compensation are they talking about giving you for denying your boarding? They, they give you around $1,800 now for your uh, denied boarding. Uh, that's if you say, I, I don't want to, I want to be boarded. And you're then denied boarding and you have to, um, and they have to give you $1,800. Now, you can also negotiate with them. And I've actually seen people negotiate where they go, no, I'm not going to get on the flight back and forth. And they end up getting sometimes $10,000. Holy cow. So that's the difference. And it's an amazing difference. Charlie, before I let you go here, I wanted to just take a minute and give you a chance to tell people a little bit about Travelers United. You fight for consumers' rights in Washington, D.C. You're a nonprofit. Uh, how can people be a part of the battle? Right. Now, we do have our uh, newsletter, which goes out uh, every week, and that newsletter is free. And so if you just sign up and join us, you've added your voice to Travelers United. Now, if you want to help us out financially, we have what we call a cybersecurity package where we give you uh, secure 
web phones and secure iPhone kind of services. And then you also get a, a password manager and you get a server in Switzerland, which falls under Swiss privacy laws. And soon next year, we're going to, and I'll call to you guys for sure when we do that, we launch this. We're starting out with a new app, which will allow you to know your rights when you're right at the airport. Just use your cell phone and pull up your rights right there, and then you'll be able to make, send complaints off to DOT and to the airlines, and you'll see the actual rules and regulations that you have to follow. Wow. So, informed, informed travelers at the airport, the airlines are not going to be pleased. Um, well, they're not going to be happy with me, that's for sure. No, no, they're they're really not. There is a link to Travelers United um, at, tra- at TravelGuysRadio.com. You can go there. You can go to their website, sign up for the newsletter that Charlie's talking about. If you think that you'd like to be part of the battle, there's, a, as Charlie mentioned, there's a way that you can be a paying member with some other benefits there. If you're a frequent traveler, you at least want the newsletter. Um, I'm going to suggest to you that if you're a frequent traveler, you probably want the next level up. Charlie, thank you again for your time. Really appreciate it. Weighing in on a couple of important issues. We'll keep watching, re- watching what you're writing and have you back again soon. Okay. I'm looking forward to it. And thanks a lot, guys. Uh, and by the way, links to our special guests, including... One we're about to talk to can be found at TravelGuysRadio.com. Our guest here at the tail end of the program is Bonnie Newman. Bonnie is with Aurora Expeditions. And if you remember, if you were listening in the front part of the program, we were talking about this particular company announcing some of their new products and also the fact that they have a brand new ship. So, Bonnie, I didn't know we were going to have those things to talk about when we set up the interview, but welcome to the Travel Guys, and congratulations on uh, uh, having a, a new floating toy in the ocean there. Great. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me today. Um, we are super excited to have a new member of our family, and that's our new ship. Um, she's called the Sylvia Earl, named after a world-renowned oceanographer, marine biologist, and scientist. So we have two purpose-built ships in our fleet now, and when I mean by purpose-built, they're built specifically for exploration and the polar regions. So we're super excited. Um, One thing I just wanted to point out about our ships is that we have very small group sizes. So each ship holds between 120 and 130 passengers, and that's it. And when you're doing explorations and expeditions and specifically in Antarctica, you're limited as far as the number of people that can get off the ship. And with 120 or 130, we can get everybody off the ship at the same time because some of the other guests that we have are doing some of our amazing activities like kayaking and snorkeling and paddleboarding. And um, there's just a lot of different activities that we offer. So um, two very small purpose-built expedition ships, and we're super excited about it. Bonnie, tell me a little bit about um, your product. It sounds like you have a really unique product. It's a little bit upscale. It's a little pricey, in part because of the destinations and, and the specialty aspect of it. Tell me, uh, what makes the Aurora Expeditions product so special? So, well, first of all, um, you know, a lot of companies are getting into the expedition, expedition space now. And 
We were actually one of the pioneers of expedition travel. We were founded by an Australian gentleman named Greg Mortimer, and he's an Australian mountaineer, and he's actually the first Australian to climb Mount Everest unassisted without supplemental oxygen. And he and his wife started doing expeditions in the 80s, and um, he started Aurora Expeditions in 1991, and we have been doing expeditions for over 30 years. The difference between us and some other companies is that we are a true expedition company. This is all we've ever done. You know, there's a lot of companies out there in the marketplace that are cruise lines that are now offering expeditions, but Mm -hmm. they're more of a cruise experience, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It does, especially when you talked initially about needing a special ship to go into these regions. And and, and so that tells me right away that a regular ocean-going cruise ship is not going to provide the same experience that Aurora is going to provide. Exactly. So our two ships, um, I forgot to mention the first ship is called Greg Mortimer after our founder. So we've got the two now. Um, So those are built specifically for the polar regions and they're, they're able to cut through the ice. Um, They've got a really kind of unique bow in the front, which we actually designed that technology. It's a lot smoother going through the ice um, and especially through the Drake Passage. We've got the stabilizers and it's a lot more fuel efficient. So um, it's great for the polar regions. You know, we're all about sustainability and conservation, um, education and enrichment. So these are a couple of things that sets us apart as well. And then I do want to mention our expert guides. Um, We have a full expedition team, and our ratio is about one expedition team member for every seven expeditioners, um, which is a really high ratio. Um, We also have a true spirit of adventure, and we offer more activities than any company out there. So as I mentioned um, a few minutes ago, we've got the kayaking, snorkeling, scuba diving, Uh, snowshoeing, rock climbing, skiing, um, camping on the ice. So we've got quite a bit of um, optional activities that our expeditioners can take part in. Our special guest here on the Travel Guys today, Bonnie Newman. She's the business development manager with the Western U.S. Aurora Expeditions uh, Company. Uh, Bonnie, uh, tell me a little bit about your your clientele. It sounds to me like... uh, you know, uh, it's pretty di- diverse, but at the same time, you know, we're talking expeditions, the kind of things you're talking about. Uh, sounds like it would be real popular with the uh, with the younger generation. Uh, w- tell me, uh, what is your demos? So our demographics, um, you're right, they do tend to skew a little bit younger because we are so active, but we take passengers I'd say average 40 to 65. We have passengers in their 70s and 80s. It really depends on how um, their mobility is. And really all they need to know how to do is get in and out of a Zodiac, which is the raft that we use um, to go on land. 
Um, if they can get in and out of a Zodiac, they'll be great on one of our expeditions. Oh, all right. I, I could do Because, Tom, if, they, if, you fall out of, if you fall out of the Zodiac getting in and stuff like that, why they just kind of leave you because, <laughs> you know, I mean, they've got things to do and people have paid a lot of money. And, and, and you'll, you'll be well kept because you'll freeze, you know, probably you in go. the water. Yeah, just, just... Uh, Bonnie, let me ask you a couple <laughs> things here before we run out of time. Um, what's, what's the biggest takeaway for, for your guests? In other words, once they've been – on one of your expeditions and they come back, what, what's the most common thing that people say? They, have, they come back changed people. They're more aware of conservation and sustainability, but also that they're part of the Aurora family. We have such a great family atmosphere on board. Um, they come back part of the family. They've seen things. They've learned things. Um, and they go to places that they've never dreamt of going before. So they come back really changed people. What would you tell somebody who has something like this on their bucket list? I mean, you're, you're talking about relatively younger people, people who at least, like you said, if you're into your 60s, you've got to have some mobility and stuff like that. What would you tell folks um, who, who are thinking about a trip like this? Don't wait. Go when you can. Um, you know, with everything changing, you know, the landscapes are changing. Um, the ice sheets are changing. Um, you can go week after week, and it'll be a different experience. Um, so go while you can, while it's still available to go there. It's the I'm speaking specifically about Antarctica. Um, go while you can. Um, just do it. <laughs> Well, that's great advice for any traveler nowadays. Uh, and younger travelers, the uh, new generation, they they want to get it now. It, it, it changes your life. Sounds like a, a Burning Man experience, uh, but not exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, no, that, that that I think, Tom, that is a pretty good comparison. Burning Man, Antarctica, yeah, I, I think you have to have a special kind of person to do either one of those. Probably not the same kind of person, but different kinds of person. Bonnie, um, thank you so much for your time today. I want to tell our listeners, if you're interested in what Aurora Expeditions has to offer in the Arctic, Antarctica, um, you can go to TravelGuysRadio.com. We'll have a link there so that you can uh, find out all about what they have to offer. Thank you again, Bonnie, for your time today. Thanks for having me. Well, that wraps up another Travel Guys expedition. Uh, thanks for coming along, my friends. Uh, we're out of time. Remember, dance like nobody's watching. See you next time here on the Travel Guys. Travel Guys.